How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Uh, before we get started, there are some things I want to address. Um, I've addressed them before. I want to address them again because we've grown and people are new. And so, again, the past year and a half, churches across our country have been dividing and fighting over masks and vaccines and shutdowns. And where we draw the line as a church and as citizens of our country, and it's our position here when it comes to COVID that vaccination for COVID is a matter of Christian liberty and Christian conscience. It's a question of wisdom that's left up to private individuals and households. And so here, that's how we're going to treat it, okay? No matter what happens federally, on the state level, on the local level here as Church of the King, we're treating these things as matters of Christian conscience, okay? Um, there may be compelling reasons why you choose to get vaccinated. There may be compelling reasons why you choose not to. That is your decision to make. You have freedom to make that decision, weighing all things in the balance, okay? Not pushing you any one way here. We're not going to be the vax church. We're not going to be the anti-vax church. We're the church, and the church our job is to be the church, okay? I know many of us have strong opinions and feelings about those things. We're here to be the church. And that means we will come together and we will worship the living God together every week, no matter what happens, okay? We will continue to gather. If they lock us out of here at some point, we'll find other places to be, okay? We will come together. We will sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. We will preach the word. We'll call each other and our family and our friends and this community to repentance and faith in Christ. All right. Now, what does that have to do with today's passage? You know the answer, and the answer is, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Here's today's passage. We're starting a new series this week, Philippians. Finished Proverbs last week, Philippians this week. It, listen, when I say I don't care, all I mean is we're a family, we're a church family, okay? We talk about the things that matter to us. Okay, so we're not in a passage that deals with, you know, vaccines and stuff like that. Well, okay, we'll just talk about it, right? But here's where we're at in the passage. Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the passage this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning, for gathering us together to worship you. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering this morning, who have to hide, who have to worry about the knock on the door. Pray that you would be near to them and that you would give them faith and that you would make that faith fruitful. Pray that you would protect them as they gather to worship you, as they worship you in homes and in secret places. We thank you for the churches of our presbytery, of our fellowship of churches. We thank you for their work and care and partnership in the gospel. And we pray for your blessing on them. Pray for the churches in this community that your word would be exalted and faithfully preached, that false churches would be silenced. We pray this morning, especially for the LaCroix family who's battling sickness and for Valtteri as he uh, struggles. Pray that you'd be near to him and to that family. And we pray that as we come to your word this morning, that you would give us all humility and faith and repentance where we need to repent. I pray that you would give me faith and fill me with your spirit so that I may proclaim your word faithfully and so that we would all grow in faith and godliness. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so you guys are used to, so far in the life of Church of the King, getting big chunks of Scripture, right? Whole chapters of Proverbs we've done all at one time. Not this morning. Um, This morning you get two verses, and they're the introduction to the book of Philippians. Now, anybody want to venture a guess as to why that's what we're doing this morning? Anybody. Context. That is the word of the day. Context. Context matters. That's why. Context matters. This book is an epistle, which is a fancy word for letter. Just a fancy word for letter. And so that means that we are this morning reading other people's mail. Okay? This is a letter from two pastors to a church, and we get to come in and read other people's mail this morning. Now, it's scripture. It's timeless. It's been preserved for us and for our benefit. But basically what that looked like is back in the day, this church in Philippi said, hey, we got this letter. It's from the Apostle Paul. Yo, that's pretty special. We need to hold on to this. We need to copy it. We need to share it with other people. We need to preserve it. And over time, the church recognized it as part of the canon of Scripture. So it's in our Bibles. But it's still other people's mail. So if I came to you and I grabbed your phone and I opened up an email, right, between you and your best friend or you and your friend from college, or you and your girlfriend, or your old girlfriend, right? Am I going to understand everything that's going on in that letter, in that email? Not necessarily, not unless I know something more about you, and about who sent it, and about why they sent it, right? So this morning, as we prepare to dig into the book of Philippians, our job is to understand the context, to understand the place that this has, okay? So, Eh, left my notes. All right. Context matters. Context is king. Here's how we're going to demonstrate that context matters this morning. No other book in the New Testament says the words rejoice or joy as many times as the book of Philippians, okay? Here's the book of Philippians. It's four chapters long. There's the end right there. There's the start, okay? No other book says the words joy or rejoice as much in the entirety of the New Testament, Okay, now how does that hit you? When you think of joy and rejoice, what do you think of? What do you think of when you think of joy? You can answer. Happiness? What, what things make you happy? All right, all right. Think about those things. You don't have to say them out loud. It's okay. All right, I see, you know, got some work to do on getting you guys as responsive as I'd like. Think about the things that make you happy. Think about the things that are happy. Do we live in a happy time right now? Does it feel like a happy time? Does it feel like a joyous time? Does it feel like you're ready for somebody to be like, rejoice? What did you do yesterday? How many of y'all cried yesterday for no reason? Yeah? I, well, I cried. I cried for a reason. I didn't think I was going to cry, but then I, like, somebody sent me the transcript of Todd Beamer's uh, phone call on Flight 93, and then I found that I was just crying. That was 20 years ago. There's a lot to be sad about. The America of today is not the America of 20 years ago. There's a lot to be uptight about and concerned about. And joy, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Been read it this morning. That's from this book. Without context, I can feel really light, really trivial, really superficial. All right, so this is the test. Let's take how we hear that at the start. And as we go deeper into the context, let's hear it at the end and see if it changes for us. All right, so first word, not the this time, first word 
is what? Paul, second word. And third word, Timothy. These are the authors of the letter. Who are these people? Who are they? What do you know about them? What can you tell me about Paul? This is how we study the Bible. This is how we study it together. This is how we wrap our heads around what's going on here. We ask questions about the most basic things. Who is Paul? Who is he? What do you know about him? Okay, apostle to the Gentiles. That's like a title that he has, which is like, we have all the guys that like lived with Jesus, okay, minus Judas, and their job was to go and take the, uh, the gospel specifically to the Gentiles and then to all nations. But then Jesus set apart somebody else, especially to take the gospel to non-Jews, Gentiles, us. His name was Paul. What, what, what about before he became an apostle? Apostle is just a special, somebody set apart by God to preach God's word, okay? What do you know about him before that? What did you say? He was a persecutor of the church. In Philippians 3, he tells us he was a Pharisee and that his job was to persecute the church. He was there, if you go into the book of Acts, he was there when the first Christian martyr was killed, sort of like in charge, standing there, giving approval. Everybody, when they go to stone Stephen, they come to Paul, they lay down, like they take off their jackets or whatever. They lay him at Paul's feet. He's standing there. He's like, yeah, go take the stones, kill this dude. Okay, that's who he is. He's chasing and persecuting God's people city to city. And then he's on his way to a city called, anybody? Damascus. Okay, he's on his way to a city called Damascus. And on his way there, Jesus shows up. And Paul meets Jesus and his entire world, his entire life is turned upside down in that moment. Everything changes for him. He meets Jesus on the road to persecute Christians. Jesus says, I've set you apart to be an apostle a uniquely commissioned messenger of my good news. And so the man that came to Damascus to persecute Christians, do you know what happens to him by the time he leaves Damascus? He ends up being lowered over the city walls in a basket so that he can escape because the people he came there with are now trying to kill him. Not everybody was ready to trust the apostle Paul right away. There was a guy that stuck his neck out for him, vouched for him before the council in Jerusalem with Peter and James and John and everywhere else. That guy's name was Barnabas. They became best friends and partners in ministry. They went and preached together. They began to plant churches throughout the entire Mediterranean. Every place that the Apostle Paul preached, he met intense opposition. He was often beaten and thrown in jail. In 2 Corinthians 11, he's comparing himself to imposters. And this is what he says. This is how you know that I'm the real deal and not one of these imposters. Imposters. With far greater labors than these false apostles, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's that's the Apostle Paul. He would eventually be beheaded in Rome for preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus. That's the author of this letter. He's writing together with Timothy, his son in the faith. Timothy traveled with Paul and was among his most trusted assistants 
Two letters of the New Testament are written to Timothy. Timothy was a guy that Paul could send anywhere. He was fully trustworthy. Okay, so far? How are we doing? Epistle of joy. It's already changed, right? It's already changed. Rejoice in the Lord always, says that man. Again, I will say rejoice. Okay, that's Paul and Timothy. How about Philippi? Some things that maybe are worth knowing about Philippi, the city, before we get into Philippi, the church. Y'all remember a guy named Julius Caesar? Y'all read the play or something like that? Y'all remember how he died? Yeah, et tu, Brute, right? Assassinated by Brutus. That led to a Roman civil war. And Brutus and Cassius led one side of forces. And Mark Antony and Octavius, who was Caesar's son, Julius's son, led the other. That war ended at Philippi, at the Battle of Philippi. That war ended in Philippi. Octavius won. Now, it took a while for him to settle all things, but he eventually became known as, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, became known as Caesar Augustus, okay? That happened at Philippi. And then Philippi was colonized by a bunch of veterans, a bunch of Roman veteran soldiers. And that's basically who lived there. It was sort of like a garrison community. Now, it grew and became a city of commerce as well, but it's basically... Roman soldiers who fought in the Civil War and their children, and their children's children. That's who's in Philippi. That's the core of the city's identity. Patriots, Romans, Romans of Romans. It was, it was called Miniature Rome. That's the nickname that the city had. Okay, so this is a Roman city of Roman cities. And it's the first city in Europe that the Apostle Paul ever came to. Very different than many of the cities he'd been to before, as we'll see. Everywhere else he'd been was Turkey, places like that, okay? So, now this is about 50 years after the, uh, the Battle of Philippi. All right. When Paul went there, he went with Timothy and with Silas and also probably with Luke. It was the first church he planted without Barnabas. Barnabas left him. They had a disagreement. So, it was Paul and Silas and Timothy. Timothy's a young man. This is also Timothy's first journey with Paul to plant a church. So everybody's new, everything is new. Here's what happened. One night, the apostle Paul saw a vision in the night of a man from the region urging Paul to come and help them. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and probably Luke got in a boat and they set sail for Philippi. And you can read all about it in Acts chapter 16. Now, normally when Paul went to a city to preach the gospel for the first time, he'd go find the synagogue where there were Jews who had the Old Testament. And he'd start there and he'd open up the Old Testament scriptures and explain that Jesus was the Messiah. Philippi didn't have a synagogue. There weren't enough Jews there. And so people went and they gathered down by the river. There may have been a handful of Jews, maybe not. Some God-fearing Gentiles were there. And so that's where they ended up going. So over the next few days of arriving in that city and figuring out, okay, no synagogue here, got to go down to the river. This is what happens. A rich God-fearing Gentile named Lydia and her house came to know the Lord and were baptized. And then a demon-possessed slave girl was exercised and probably became part of the church. But that got them beaten and thrown in jail. And so at midnight, while Paul and Silas are singing at Psalms, God sends an earthquake, opens the doors, looses everyone's chains. The jailer freaks out, tries to kill himself. Paul says, wait, stop, we're all here. Jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And the jailer in his whole house come to know the Lord and are baptized. And then the very next day, the city officials are like, we want you out of here, leave. So 
in the span of a handful of days, the Apostle Paul comes, this uh, Gentile lady, probably a widow named Lydia, in her house, some demon-possessed slave girl, and the suicidal jailer and his family, and that's all we have recorded, and then, he, then they have to leave. And that's the foundation of this church. That's how it begins. It's a mess. Now, this letter is believed to have been written about 10 years after that. Things have changed in Philippi since then. There have been other journeys, other opportunities to come and strengthen the church at Philippi. Timothy's probably been there a couple of times. We know that by this time they have elders and deacons. We know it because we can see it in this passage. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So we've got elders, we've got deacons. We also know that this is probably one of the best churches mentioned in the entirety of the New Testament. It was certainly not like the churches at Corinth or Galatia. We know that because Paul doesn't deal with anything in this letter like he has to in those other letters. Most of his other letters, he has to deal with things like heresy and false teachers and all kinds of gross sexual immorality. None of that here. This is different. This was a congregation that was more mature and godly. It wasn't without its problems. Another reason we know that this is a pretty great church is that the Apostle Paul was very careful about who he would let give him money. He did not like to be in anybody's debt. He did not like to feel like somebody had a claim on him. He didn't want people to think he was out for money. He didn't want people thinking he was out for anything other than the gospel. And he did not want people to feel like they had leverage on him. And so he often, he just refused to take money from the churches that he would plant. So they knew that he was legit because there are a bunch of false teachers going around too. But he just refused. He insisted on working with his own hands wherever he went. Very few churches he allowed the privilege of supporting him financially. This was one of those churches. This was one of those churches. It was an exception. He trusted them. He trusted their generosity. He trusted their intentions. He let them give him money. And they were generous. We'll see more of that in a minute. We also know that the church of Philippi suffered a lot of persecution. Part of how we know that is because that's what this letter deals with a lot of. He's talking to them about how to suffer and suffer well. How to have joy in the face of intense suffering and persecution. How to respond to the trials they're facing. And that's really a lot of what this letter is. It's a call to stand fast in the face of suffering and to rejoice in the midst of it. To find their citizenship in heaven, not in Rome. Hard thing to say to a city of patriots. But that's the pressures that they faced. We see that too when he talks about um, the gospel being spread to the praetorian guard and the greetings from Caesar's house at the end. What he's telling them is your friends and family have heard the gospel and some of them have come to know the Lord. It's personal. So here's the occasion, right? We've got the authors. We've got who it's written to. And we need to know why. Why was it written in the first place? What's the occasion? All right. You're a church in the first century. You get a letter from the Apostle Paul. Your first response is what? Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what do we do? What did we not do? What's wrong? That's what most of the letters are. It's like, greetings. I love you guys. You're great. Now. <laughs> That's a lot of what it's like. It's like, here are all the ways that you have bought into false teaching and you need to repent. Here are all the immoral things that are ha- I hear in other cities about that are happening in your church. It has to stop. That's not this letter. So why was it written? Well, it's actually being written from prison. It's being written from prison. 
the Apostle Paul is in Rome, most likely. And there's almost no reason to doubt that. He's in Rome. He's probably been there for about two years in prison. And he's moving towards the likelihood of his execution. And at this point in his ministry, as we near the end, he's been abandoned by almost everybody. Almost everybody has let him down. Nobody wants to associate with him anymore. He's got Timothy. That's about it. The churches that he planted, very few of them want to associate with him, want to have anything to do with him. It's dangerous for them. It's dicey to be associated with this man. But the church at Philippi heard that he was in prison in Rome. And so what did they do? They took one of their elders, probably, one of their pastors, maybe their main pastor, and they're like, we're putting together some, we got we to gotta take care of this guy. Like, he brought us the good news of salvation. He's gone and he's been faithful. He's suffering in Rome. We got to take care of him. We're going to pull a collection together. We're going to get some things. We're going to send one of our best men to go encourage him. And so they send one of their best men to go encourage him with money and gifts, making clear to their friends and family in Rome that they're with Paul. And he almost dies in the process, either on the way or shortly after he gets there. His name's Epaphroditus. So here's the Apostle Paul alone in prison. Epaphroditus from Philippi shows up. He's been abandoned by almost everybody else. You imagine the joy, the gratitude, the sweetness, and that permeates this whole letter. That's the occasion. It's a thank you note. Thank you. This is what happened to Epaphroditus. He almost died. Let me encourage you. I know you're suffering too. Don't worry about me. This is all for good. It's even good for your friends and family here in Rome. It's going to be okay. If I die, I'm with Jesus. Whatever happens, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And also, thanks for the money. I needed it. Please keep supporting me. That's it. That's the letter. Because of the context, we understand this letter to be a living commentary on joy and peace in the midst of suffering. A living, breathing expression of Christian joy from a man who has suffered more in the name of Jesus Christ than any of us ever probably will. To a church that has suffered more than we've suffered and probably will. And that's why I want to study this letter. This church went through it and they stayed faithful. And they owned the men that loved them and cared for them to the end. They gave up their Roman patriotism and stopped worshiping the emperor and bowing down to Caesar in the heartland of the Roman Empire. They had to draw hard lines. They suffered. Their founding pastor was in prison, the hands of of facing the judgment of the Roman emperor, who was, do you know who it was? It was Nero. That's who. A lot of heartache, a lot of pain, a lot of sense of betrayal. It wasn't pretty, a pretty time. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Okay, I'm not trying to draw too many lines in parallel, so I don't know what we're facing as a church yet. I don't know that any of us know. But I do know that in the coming days and months and years, we have to be ready to face any number of circumstances and to rise above them with faith and hope and real joy. Joy that transcends our circumstances. Times are not, apart from some miracle, times are not getting easier for the church in America harder from here on out. The church at Philippi is a church that I want us to aspire to as a church. It's what I want us to set our mark at and aim toward. I want us to be the church that holds fast when everything around us shifts. I want us to be the church that's unashamed of the Apostle Paul's of our time. I want us to be a church that recognizes that our citizenship is in heaven and our first allegiance is to our king. 
I want us to be a church that's ready to give out of our poverty to support the needs of the saints. I want us to be a church that perseveres in living together in peace and unity, which is another theme of the book of Philippians. Church of Philippi did have its problems and its temptations and its weaknesses, and we do too, and we will continue to have our problems and weaknesses and temptations. But by God's grace, we'll grow strong in the Lord together as we study this book. This is the epistle of joy. It uses words like rejoice and joy more often than any other book of the New Testament. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Context matter? Matters, right? We started, I think, probably thinking joy, rejoice, trite, shallow. Man, what is this? Happy, clappy, bleached teeth, best life now stuff? No, this is joy in the midst of suffering and pain. Looking the realities of suffering full in the face and finding a joy that's deeper and beyond all of those things. That provides us the strength to endure whatever comes our way. That's the context. That's why we're studying this book this morning and for the next, who knows how long. 